This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. Kathy Heinzel is somebody we all need to meet. She is like your sweet sister, or your nice next-door neighbor, or even a concerned co-worker in the office. Kathy grew up in Minnesota with practical Midwestern values. She raised two kids, became a police officer, and then later a detective. She has an abiding love of horses. Yet her life changed forever one night after she decided to get behind the wheel of her car after having a few drinks. Kathy was involved in a DUI that resulted in the other driver's fatality. This could be you. This could be me. This could happen to any one of us in a moment of weakness and misguided judgment. It took a lot of courage for Kathy to share the story of one of the worst days of her life with us. It was especially hard for her because of the constant burden of shame she carries. Kathy is not the type of person that comes to mind when we think of incarcerated individuals. But as you'll hear from her own words, it was the place that brought her the greatest education. I hope her story is a wake-up call for anyone who feels they can drink and drive without any repercussions. Kathy, it is nice to meet you. I'm so happy you've decided to join me to share your story and your life experience. And I really look forward to seeing the world through your lens. Well, thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it as well. If we had a time travel machine and you could get in it and go anywhere in the world at any time in history, past or future, where would you want to go and why? That's a tough question, but I think that the best place I would want to go would be into the future because I'd like to see what we've changed, what works and what doesn't work, what has worked or hasn't worked. (laughs) You are the third person to give that exact same answer. Isn't that incredible? That actually was the first one I came up with. So yeah. Do you have a backup plan? The backup plan was to go back in time where we were living with horses and whatnot, because I'm a horse fanatic. I I definitely think it would be much better to go in the future and see what we're, what we've done. So true. Kind of the back to the future idea, right? Exactly. (laughs) Good movie. Well, I would love to learn what it was like uh, growing up, what young Kathy learned, um, What were the fun, wonderful times of your childhood and youth? And what were some of the hardships that you experienced that helped create your character? Yeah, no, I grew up in Minnesota and um, I was number three of five children. Right in the middle. Yep. Yep. And I, and I think, you know, one of the joys of that is just having siblings, you know, uh, for good, bad, or worse, <laughs> we, you know, we had our fun moments, we had our crazy moments, we had our fights, we had our arguments, we had our, our laughing moments, dancing mm-hmm. moments, you know, it was, it was good. I really, 
am thankful to have had, you know, grown up with siblings, both girls and boys. For you, the peacemaker being the middle one? <laughs> it's interesting. I, I think I was. And my brother, you know, will say that I'm kind of the glue that holds it all together. Or mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. That's a true characteristic yeah. of a middle child. Yeah, huh. for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. I guess that was me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But, you know, growing up back in that time was, you know, we walked a mile to school. It was safe to do so. We, we lived near a, um, a local park, Lyndhurst Park. Yeah, we could just, we would just walk down to the park and play basketball and softball and boot mm -hmm. hockey. It was boot hockey for the girls back then. You know, we didn't play ice hockey, but boot hockey. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then summer, ride our bikes over to Lake Harriet and take our swim lessons and just hang out at the lake all summer. It really, you know, was a fun childhood in my eyes from what mm -hmm. I remember, you mm -hmm. know. What I didn't realize until after I became a parent was how much my parents weren't involved. You know, I don't know if that was kind of how it was back then or if it truly was part of our dysfunctional family. And mm -hmm. my siblings, my siblings go on both sides of the spectrum you know, when I talk to them about it, but, um, but yeah, you know, we'd be on teams and rarely were my parents there at the games. Wow. But, yeah. But we as siblings always supported each other. And, you know, I remember going to my brother's football games and, you know, them being at my softball games or whatever. So, nice. um, yeah, it was, um, you know, those, those were the joys, I think, you know, having the siblings, having all that, that freedom to walk around, ride your bike, get around and hang out with your friends and be safe. That was lovely. The hardships, of course, were having siblings and having to share things, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all of that that goes along with it. One of the good things for me, I, I'll never forget because my oldest brother, uh, I look most like him. And so the teachers would always say, you're Jim's sister, aren't you? You know, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, but that was okay with me because, you know, he was always really athletic, did mm -hmm. well and everything. So it kind of helped mold what I aspired for you hmm. know, as I was growing up, which was kind of neat. So were you close with your parents at all? Or did you not notice that relationship until you thought about it in hindsight? You know, it's funny because what you know as a child is different from what you learn as an adult. And That's true. When I was growing up, I just, I just remember, you know, adoring my dad. Um, you know, I'd see him swinging his golf club in the backyard and <laughs> there's a picture of me. I wanted to be just like him. And he had on these plaid shorts and no shirt, you know, summertime in Minnesota. So there I am. I don't know what age I was, six years old or something. No, sh no shirt, plaid shorts with a golf club swinging away. Uh, just funny things went south really fast in my childhood. My dad drank and my mom started drinking and it became very dysfunctional. Mm. And he, I mean, I mean, I don't know, you know, at what point he became, you know, a, an alcoholic, like full-blown alcoholic, but things just deteriorated. And there was a lot of fighting and a lot of chaos, really, really bad dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a child, I just knew I didn't like it. I just knew um, 
you know, when I'd be laying in bed at night and hear the arguing and screaming, I just wanted to stop. Yeah. Still, still to this day, I can't, um, I don't like slamming doors. Mm. That was a big rule. When I had kids, I said, you will not slam a door in this mm -hmm. house ever. <laughs> yeah, it's like a trigger, I imagine. It is a yeah. There was just a lot of uh, dysfunction and deteriorating behavior in the family um, from the time I was about seven to nine when he passed away. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. How did that affect the family? Oh, well, it was, it was very traumatic and it was sudden and unexpected. And as far as how it affected everybody, you know, we never got any, any help, any counseling, any, mm. any direction about how to deal with it. Needless to say, that was a huge part in what happened to me in my adult life. What course did you guys take after your father passed away? Was your mom a traditional homemaker? Did she have to go get a job? Did you get to stay in your same house? I imagine there was a lot of upheaval. Well, there was, and yet there wasn't. We were able to stay in the same house. My mom was a homemaker. So my mom had to go back to work and look for work. She was, uh, he was 42, so she was probably about 41. 42 and um, hadn't worked for quite some time. So it was difficult for her. And all she was a secretary, secretarial uh -huh. type work. All I remember is just, we got up and made our own lunches and went to school. My mom managed to keep the house. So we were able to stay in the same schools. I do remember her telling me we were going to a, a Catholic school at the time. And apparently the church decided that they would let her keep us in the school without the tuition, tuition free. Mm -hmm. because otherwise she couldn't have let us finish mm -hmm. school. It was K through eight. Mm -hmm. When I went back to school, kids were asking me, you know, of course they were all told now, you know, she lost her father, whatever. But some kids would say, what happened? And, and I tell my mom, what do I tell him? Tell him he died in a car accident. And that's not a lie because he died from asphyxiation. And, oh no. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay. So that's what I grew up telling people. I think we grew apart. I think there was just a lot of tension in the family. I had my, my oldest brother, I think felt like he had to step in then. And it became very contentious between all the siblings mm -hmm. and, you know. So going through my teenage years, coming off of the death of my father and everything and all the, all the tension amongst the siblings and in the household and everything, um, you know, I became a very angry teenager. I remember, I remember not understanding the funeral and people would come over with their food and they'd be talking and, and I'd be like, why are they so happy? You know, they shouldn't be so happy. I did not, I just didn't understand and nobody ever talked about it. And you didn't have any counseling or anything no. after the fact? No. So I just had to deal with it on my own and I became angry and I started smoking and um, drinking at like age 14. Um, and mm. so um, and just hanging out with, with, um, kids. Now it didn't really affect my schoolwork. When, when I got into high school, I focused, I got on the volleyball team and went to choir. I really enjoy singing. Um, music is my passion. I took up guitar, self-taught, started writing songs. And I started working through my anger and my pain through mm -hmm. that, through mm -hmm. music. Nice. Yeah. It really worked for me. Did you continue your education after high school? Did you get married? Yeah, I did. I did continue my education. 
I went to college right away, went to the University of Minnesota, up to Duluth, and mm -hmm. uh, my mother was very supportive of that. Um, and um, the interesting thing is, you know, I just, I was a little bit, you know, you don't know what you want to do, and I think that's very typical of, of college mm -hmm. kids. And um, in trying to to get some direction, she's like, well, you just go to school, college for a couple of years and find a husband. That was just, I was just a little baffled by that. I'm like, oh, what? No, I don't mm -hmm. know about that. <laughs> I would say it wasn't until I was in college and then in creative writing classes that I really dug deep and with my feelings about it. And so um, it's a long process, you know, when, when someone goes through a traumatic experience, and especially when they don't have any help. They don't know. Exactly. So, exactly. You have um, to have an outlet, something mm -hmm. to let that pain out in or someone to listen. I feel very lucky though, because, you know, in many ways, I mean, I, I always used to say, well, I could have been worse. I could have ended up on drugs or something, <laughs> you know, which, mm -hmm. but no. So I went to, I went to college and I uh, was an English major. Then I met my soon to be husband actually at a party. And so he was in the Marine Corps and, you know, just madly in love, followed him to California and, I had not finished. I had one more year of college left and I thought, oh. I'll finish. I'll finish when I get to California. That's, yeah. you know, get my residency and tuition was cheap in California back then. So I mm. thought that was a good deal. But of course that didn't happen. You know, mm -hmm. I just started working when we got out here. I got this amazing job and I became a police officer. You did? I did. Wow. I, you know, I was working at a water company as in accounts receivable and I was really bored to death and I was like I need something different and I was looking through the wanted ads in the paper and this this ad was there for entry-level police officer and I showed it to my ex-husband ex-husband now and I said you know what do you think of this he goes well I'll try it you know so you and, did uh, how long were you a police officer for eight and a half years and did you enjoy it I did interestingly enough to me, when I first thought about that job, I thought, oh, this would be a good way I could help kids. Really? I saw, yeah, there were some things in my childhood that just made me feel really bad for children <laughs> who have no control over what happens in their households. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't know it at the time, what was driving my passion for kids. And I, but wow. now, now I do know that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. But at the time I didn't know, but I just thought, Oh, that'd be a good way that I could reach out and help kids. And then in, I had two children, some things happened with the police department and I retired early. I retired back in 1995 and then just focused on raising my kids. I mm -hmm. had a boy and a girl, a girl being the first and Kristen and my son, Doug. And it was just wonderful, wonderful times, wonderful times raising children. I highly recommend it to everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure. It grows you like nothing else, right? Yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm just flabbergasted then how somebody like you ever, ever ended up in prison. I mean, you just seem like the opposite type of person to go that direction. It just goes to show you can happen to anybody. I've had such a life-changing moment from from that whole thing on so many levels mm -hmm. but 
but yeah, I get, I got that a lot from people. You don't belong here. What are you doing here? What mm -hmm. are you here for? You know, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. But there I was. Are you comfortable sharing what it was that led you into prison or no? I, I will, because I think that there are some people who will hopefully learn from my story mm -hmm. and not ever do what I, mm -hmm. what, what landed me there. It's a little scary for me because it's a, a very um, judged type of offense, but, mm -hmm. um, but it is what it is. And mm -hmm. I, I was there because I had a, a fatal DUI accident. Oh, with the fatality. I can't imagine how that made you feel. It was horrifying. Oh, you live with that every day. That can't be undone. No. Yeah. The punishment is that you live with it the rest of your life, I would think. Yeah. And so what were the circumstances surrounding that? It has a bit of a, a bit of a backstory, but ultimately I, I, I just, I just, made a really poor decision mm -hmm. to get in my car that night you know it wasn't something that was a, a habitual thing that i did personally mm -hmm. drinking and driving it really goes back to um you know i think one of the questions you had posed was you know what was the turning point for for what happened in your, mm -hmm. in your situation and led your incarceration and i i came up with three things one was my father's death mm -hmm. Uh, the other was divorce I went through and the other was a breakup of a relationship I had had mm -hmm. my father's death and not dealing with the emotions of that and, and knowing how to deal, how, how relationships work mm -hmm. and, and how you work at a relationship and all mm -hmm. of that abandonment issues that I had from that, that I didn't know. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, these are kinds of things that I just had no clue I that were inside me that mm -hmm. caused me to be reactionary in my emotions, mm -hmm. you know, kind of similar situation in my divorce where I just didn't know how I didn't know how to deal with mm -hmm. the problems in the marriage. You know, it's always a two way street in a marriage, but I most certainly didn't know have a clue. And I did try to seek out help, but I think I was so blind to my own issues. Oh, yeah. That I didn't, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's really yeah, I hear you. crazy how, uh -huh. how blind you can be and, and how stubborn about that blindness we, I could be. Yes. I had gotten divorced. It was, it was not, uh, it was really emotionally difficult. It wasn't a contentious or horrific thing. It was, it was very tough emotionally for both of us. So mm -hmm. it was tough. And for the next four years, I got very selfish about working on me and mm -hmm. making my life now what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then when I thought I was in that spot and I was ready to have someone in my life again, interestingly enough, I uh, met this person and he just hit all the spots that I thought were missing and just wooed me and charmed me. And I just thought it was all terrific. And he said all the right things. And I thought this was going to be long-term and I fell mm -hmm. hook, line and sinker. Mm. 
And I'm not placing blame other than it just showed me I was still very weak. Mm. <laughs> I was still yeah. very weak. Yeah. You know, honestly, uh, there were a lot of red flags in the relationship. I chose to ignore them. I had clear set boundaries, what I was looking for in a relationship and a man, and I let them all go. You know, looking back on it, I, these are the things that I identified that <clears throat> I was still very weak and hadn't learned about myself. Mm-hmm. In that relationship, he liked to go out drinking a lot and we'd go to happy hours and we'd go to wineries and things like that. And because of my dad's situation growing up, I was always very, I would say careful about my drinking and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I really tried to pay attention and because I knew that that could be a familial thing. It could be genetic. It's, you know what I mean? I tried to be very cognizant of it, but I let all things go to the wind with this person and just Mm. was having a a fairy tale fantasy, you know, life. And then we were talking about getting married. I put my ranch on the market to be sold. Mm -hmm. Long story short, he, you know, he ended up breaking up with me and I was devastated. Uh-huh. And part of it, he said, was the long distance relationship. We were 60 miles apart or something. Mm-hmm. And my house had been on the market, hadn't sold. So my house, I got an offer and accepted and it was sold. And I thought, oh, I need to talk to him and tell him maybe I could, you know, resurrect this relationship. Mm-hmm. Really bad thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd been drinking at home. I thought it was a good idea to drive down and talk with him, let him know the house sold and maybe we could, you know, move forward with our relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, that wasn't to be, mm. that wasn't to be. Were you injured in the accident? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you still carry those physical scars and wounds in your own self too? Or did it take a long time for you to heal? I would say physically, I'm probably 95%. Yeah. Fine. Mentally and emotionally, I've healed. I will never be completely healed. Mm. Did you know right away? Or did they tell you like at the hospital or? Yeah, I didn't have any memory of it. I was told at the hospital. Mm. according to my friend apparently I just started screaming and uncontrollably I can't imagine I can't imagine none of us can imagine what we would do in your shoes and so you know this is a safe space there is no judgment here at all I have no judgment towards you this is your story this is yours to share I appreciate you walking through this even though there is still a lot of emotional trauma I can tell in, in recounting it and the fear of judgment. I have no judgment for you. What if all of us were the sum of our worst mistakes? <laughs> None of us could keep living. So mm-hmm. the, uh, the goal is to keep moving forward. And it sounds like you have done a lot of personal transformation work. So I'm happy to hear that and, and hear how you got some healing through your time. Mm-hmm in the most unlikely of places, right? Yes, 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 that's very true, very Mm. true. Do you feel that judgment from a lot of people? Do you try not to share? You know, um, I had a moment when I felt like, you know, I shouldn't, 
I shouldn't carry the shame. I have to be honest and open. It was one reaction from a person who had lost a loved one to that kind of an accident and did not um, take to me very well. And I was like, wow, you know, I got to be careful. You know? mm. Even if they judge me, I guess that's where they are. But I don't want to open any wounds for anybody. Yes. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a hard thing. I don't, I don't understand sometimes why there, there can be many other crimes, but for some reason, this one touches a, a really sharp pain yes. point for people. It's sensitive yeah. and complicated and there's no easy answers yeah. for any party involved. I no. imagine. Yeah. No. How did your family handle this news and your children, your siblings? They were amazing. Good. They were amazing. They were all behind me. Just like your reaction, like, I can't believe you, you know, mm -hmm. that was their reaction because it just wasn't the norm for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, oh, Kathy's out partying and drinking again. You know, no, that wasn't the norm for me. I had mm -hmm. a ranch. I was a private investigator. I had a business. It, it wasn't the norm. I just kind of went off on this tangent with this mm -hmm. person. I'm so glad you shared very you said poor that. decisions, make very poor decisions. But each one of us has that capacity in our lives to do that. And, and we delude ourselves if we think we don't, uh, I think we, yeah. Yeah. We project that on our, our deficiencies or our, well, I wouldn't do that under piety or deflection or projecting it onto other people. Those bad people do that. Not somebody yeah. like me until you experience it and then you experience the magnitude of grace and forgiveness and guilt and shame i mean i think you're you're holding all of those aren't you mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it's the only way forward is through all that yeah. and all of us need to heed those words from you because each one of us holds that capacity it is not beneath any of us to mm -hmm. stumble and falter like that i think mm -hmm. I did have, you know, several people said, oh my God, that could have been me. I've driven, you know, home like mm -hmm. that so many times. And the one, you know, there were positives from it. Obviously my family and friends, they all, nobody drinks and drives anymore at all. Even if Good. they've had one, they'll have the wife drive home or the husband or the friend. Good. I mean, Good. they were so traumatized by my situation. You know, that was good. And both my son and my best friend's, um, son who they were you know best friends growing up it was a incredible horrible but yet very impactful moment for them you know mm -hmm. as young adults i think they were 20 19 19 years old and so they were able to share with their friends all mm -hmm. in college and whatnot you know wow you know this really can happen and don't call uber This season is brought to you by Defy Ventures. They are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, 
entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. So how many years were you convicted for? Nine years. Did you get early release at all? Or did you do the whole time? Thankfully, in the beginning, I was supposed to do 85% of my time. And I was not eligible for, for any, anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And when Prop 57 passed, that allowed me to earn credit for early release. Good. So I could take self-help groups and earn milestone credits. And I could go to fire camp and then earn potentially 50% off of whatever my remaining sentence was. Or 45%, I think it was 45%. Wow. So you did those things? Yes, I did. You know, honestly, I was going to go to fire camp regardless of earning credit. When I first was sentenced, I wasn't allowed to get credit for fire camp, but I was going to go anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was just very thankful for Prop 57 Mm. passing because I got out like a year and a half early. So when did you meet Defy Ventures and how did that impact you? I was actually one of in their first cohort at CIW. That was back in 2017 Mm -hmm. when they had that first cohort. I saw this poster on the wall and it's kind of a just a real quick backstory. When I first went to jail, when I was in San Diego County Jail, um, I met this gal and she was kind of mentoring me. I'd never been in, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. Um, anyway, she was trying to mentor me and tell me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You know, this is what you need to do <laughs> to mm-hmm. survive this and everything. Anyway, we got along pretty well. She was taking business courses and whatnot. So it's very, very bright young lady. Mm-hmm. She said, it's going to be okay. When people, when people have to do a lot of time, they, you know, they want to go up to state because then they can get their own clothes and get a TV and a radio. And, you know, they're like, give me my state issue. I go, Oh, that sounds like a clothing line. She was a real fashionista kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Fast forward when I was on a yard, which is the receiving yard. I had like six, seven roommates. And one of the roommates was a young, young woman who was about 24 and she had two just adorable little boys and she was losing custody to them. She was in the a battle oh. to get her kids back and people in there will make their own clothing out of sheets and whatever. And she was, she was very good at doing that. I had I no idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're very creative and very talented. So anyway, I just remember she really made an impact on me because I just felt so compassionate towards her and her situation. And I thought, man, if she had the right person to mentor her in life, she'd be, she'd be fine and she could provide for her boys and she'd never come back here again. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I don't know what it was, but something struck me. So when I saw this flyer in the dormitory at CIW, I went, really? Is that, am I supposed to really make this happen? What is going on here? Like, this is really strange. These things just kept falling into place. Mm -hmm. So I took, I took the, the class I put in for it and they accepted me and I took the class and it was amazing. It was, it was just amazing. It just really helped me to open my eyes to 
how I could connect the two worlds. Yeah. You had a heart to mentor other people. And through this program, you saw that method. Yeah. Cool. It Very showed cool. me a wave. Yeah. So you started this state issue apparel company. Was this obviously after release, right? Did you involve lots of the ladies that you had met previously? Yes. Awesome. Yes. yes. So yes. it's is it completely formerly incarcerated women who work with you? Not completely. Okay. Uh, yet. It's still very new because when I got out, COVID had just hit. <laughs> so I kind of had to transform, you know, how it was, how it was going to unfold and, and mm -hmm. all of that. Actually, I do have my, the main designer is still incarcerated. Really? And, yeah. But it's yeah. nice to have a sense of purpose, I bet, for, for her. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think so too. I think, you know, the whole point is to like, Defy gave me hope and then maybe, maybe through what I'm doing, I can give other women hope. Yeah. You know? Pay it forward. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Where do you think you got your resilience from? My mother. Your mom. I didn't expect that answer. Wow. Really? Yeah. You literally watched her go from probably the worst day of her life and just keep moving forward. And you did the same yeah. thing. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. And, and she did. And I, yeah. Interesting. So how was your re-entry? Was it a positive experience? Did you have good support? Uh, was it more difficult than you thought? Re-entry has been, in some aspects, better than I expected, and yet more difficult. Better than I expected as far as parole. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I guess so so I was pleased to see that it's not as awful as everybody says. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. it's really not that hard, mm -hmm. you know. And I was really pleased, you know, Defy. It was interesting because I, I graduated Defy in 2017. And then I went on to fire camp through 2018 and 19. And then I went to CCTRP for six months. What is CCR? That CCTRP is a um, community, corrections to community transitional program. Okay. It's a place where you go and you start getting more, more individualized um, training and help to, to get you ready to go back into society. You can actually, if you're there long enough, you can get it. The, the idea is you get a job out in the community, you wear an ankle monitor and you mm -hmm. go to work and come back every day, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Okay. And I was never there long enough to reach that point, but, um, but I was there for like five months. And you do a lot of groups and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. How did your mindset change? How did prison change your mindset? Is probably a better way to ask that question. Oh, wow. Well, a lot, a lot. I was, I was a very, I would say that I was a very judgmental probably less forgiving than I want to admit mm -hmm. person. Um, I was much more self-centered and ignorant mm. of the world. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think so. The ignorance, it was going to prison was shocking to me because I met so am many amazing women, so mm -hmm. many beautiful women 
so many talented and creative and smart women. I have to say that it, it completely changed me. It completely changed me. I used to be judgmental. I used to put people in prison, not put them in prison, but I mean, I would arrest them. Okay. Yeah. When you, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible to say, and I did not tell anybody the entire time I was incarcerated. What I, no, mm. no, for, for safety reasons and for, um, well, mostly safety reasons. Some of them still don't know, and they're probably going to be upset with me that now that I'm out, I haven't told them. But it's just, it's just kind of one of those things that was so long ago now, and I feel like I'm so removed from that mm -hmm. that it's just not even who I am anymore. Yeah, you're such a different person, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I, wow, that's I beautiful. You know, that's I, one of the things that has struck me the most in all the conversations I've had for this season is the beauty of every individual person definitely has taken down those walls of judgmentalism and criticism and mm -hmm. things that people who have not had to struggle like that um, don't understand. It has broken down all those walls and you just see them, see each person as a, their own unique human with their own unique struggle, just mm -hmm. like we all are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is so amazing. It's just, it is. And um, I have lifelong friends now, you know, from, from inside. And who would and, have thought, right? Yeah. Yeah. But our, I, I learned that our system is so broken. It is so broken. And there's so much that needs to be done, you know, to fix it. Do you have some recommendations or ideas? Tell, share with us what your, your thoughts are on the the system and what could be better or what could be different? Oh my gosh. I, you know, when I was in Chowchilla, I used to go to the library and read the Sacramento Bee every day. And because there was a gentleman that was writing a series of articles of the different prisons in, in Europe. And I was fascinated by this because of course, here I am in this world that I've never been a part of, don't know, mm -hmm. don't understand and everything, don't like, don't, you know, I was fascinated at the difference between our prison and what I was reading about was happening in Europe. And I just was like, why aren't we doing this? Because I kept going back to that one young lady that made such an impression on me. Um, there's, there's so many people inside that really don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. There are other ways they can atone for their, their misdeeds or their crimes um, than in prison. I like how you say that. There's other ways to atone for your misdeeds than prison. That would be restorative justice, wouldn't it? Instead of yes. retributive, like yes. we are prone to do in our system. Yes, we're very punitive. We're very punitive. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. like to label people. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I just think that we need, to get a, we need to get away from that. And, you know, before being incarcerated, I honestly thought, only the worst of the worst, the most violent of violent people went to prison. That's what I thought. As a mm -hmm. citizen, as a former police officer, as a former police officer, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's why we need to educate ourselves. And like you were saying at the very beginning, you definitely went through an education. That's why I'm doing this to educate myself because unless you seek out people or the information, you'll never know. How, how would you expect somebody to understand? Right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the best education was a uh, lived one for you, it seems. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Good. Most definitely. So your apparel company is getting off the ground now that COVID is kind of a little bit behind us. I wouldn't say it's gone yet, but you're having, we're having people mingle again, right? And yeah. so you're, it's easier to get a company going. It had to kind of transform what my original idea was because I couldn't get into the LA garment district, but yeah, things are kind of opening up now and, and, you know, unfolding. So hopefully it'll move forward. My, my goal is to be able to give back to the children of incarcerated parents. You know, that's, I keep going back to the children. They're yeah. the unintended uh, victims as well in these yeah. situations. And, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't ask for where they are and yet there are future as well. So we really need to put our time and energy into that as well. We can't mm. forget about them. That's Beautifully said. Mm -hmm. You had asked about um, the hardest adjustment. Of course, the hardest adjustment to me was that it just wasn't my world. That was not a part of my world at all. And I was one of those people that walked around saying, I would never do anything to get myself put in jail, you know? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> There I was. It was very difficult because I did not identify with, or I thought I didn't identify. That's how, I think that's the more true statement. I thought I didn't identify with anybody in there. Mm -hmm. And I more identified with the staff, you know, wow. because of my background. And it was really difficult for me. And- Was it a humbling process? Oh, very much. Very yeah. much a humbling process. I was just knocked to my knees, beyond wow. my knees. Yeah, I can't imagine, really. Yeah, it was it was tough. When I when I first got that nine year sentence, I I was devastated. I just I prayed for death. I did not want to live through it. No. Oh no, I couldn't imagine being there for nine year, ten years, nine years. I to me, I looked at it as a decade. I thought, God, I'll be sixty when I get out, and. And that was like, that was just almost unfathomable. I couldn't even quite comprehend that other than that that seemed like a long time away, you know, like old, uh -huh. like you're going to be old when you get out. And I thought, I'm going to miss my, my child graduation from college. I'm going to miss all these things, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I did. I, I missed so much. I wasn't there for them. But interestingly enough, I learned that that is a very deep characteristic of a damaged person in that selfish thinking really about, well sure because it's all about me yeah it's all about how i feel and how it's affecting me i'm gonna miss this i'm not gonna be there for you well of course as a mother i want to be there for my kids but how do they feel about where mm -hmm. i am and that mm -hmm. what do they have to tell their friends mm -hmm. how do they deal with that that's a big mm. one, you know? That's excellent it insight. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until, you know, I really had to turn that table and, and look from their shoes that I went, wow, you know, I'm sitting here crying in my tears and praying for God to take me home because I don't like this, but they have to live with it too. Mm -hmm. you know? that's, mm. that's the humbling moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I lost my mother when I was in there. Really? And that was really tough. 
Did any of them, your mom or your siblings, come visit you in prison? They couldn't. Well, well, they did. I, I will say it. my mom couldn't. She wasn't well enough to travel there. They lived out of state in Minnesota, so my mom couldn't come see me. I would talk to her on the phone three times a week, and um, she was starting to get a bit of dementia. Mm. And you know, the conversations sometimes were difficult, but I kept praying, just let her hang in there, you know. And then um, I got the call that she had passed away. Mm-hmm. And that was just, that was devastating. That was horrible. Just feeling she was in the hospital for 10 days before she passed. And just knowing that she was in the hospital and I couldn't get to her is it, it mm-hmm. awful, awful. I can't imagine that feeling. Oh, yeah. No, it's awful. Did the victim's family reach out to you at all? No. No. So that's kind of a, it's still, is it still raw? Is it still like a, an unfinished chapter? Do you think that's going to go anywhere? Do you, have you reached out to them or it's just closed? I tried to reach out to them in the beginning and it, they weren't receptive. And I, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I respect that. And I just, I just pray that they, you know, find their peace. Mm-hmm. and you know can move forward mm-hmm. you talked about what was it aha moments or something yes yes and when your aha see. moment hits you i had a, i had a couple of aha moments well one was when i was when i was in chowchilla in 2013 and i, I was standing in the middle of the day room going how did i get here you know, I was still kind of in denial over it myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, how, what, what went wrong? And I do, and that's when I started digging in. Cause I'm like, Kathy, you really need to, you really need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And I w- had been doing some, um, I going to AA classes and stuff, but I found this book, the 12 steps through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I started working through it. It was a very in-depth um, workbook that, oh my goodness, the, the research and the writing I had to do, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the fourth step was, was really, uh, intense. Wow. But I just kept working through it and kept working through it. And that's where I found a lot of my, my issues, my emotional issues, the abandonment issues. The, uh-huh. You did the work. Yes. yes. Yeah. It sounds like an, it. And that was an aha moment for me about how I need to recognize my emotional state of being because that was one of the factors in that mm-hmm. heat and that night and what's really driving it instead of what's happening in the moment. Mm. You know? So that was, that was a big aha moment. And mm-hmm. another was my a friend kept telling me, you need to go to CODA classes. You should go to CODA classes. I go, I'm not codependent. I'm a very independent person. <laughs> She's, and then fast forward a couple of years and another friend of mine says, Oh, you know, I think I should take this CODA class. And, um, you know, my husband's divorcing me and I think I need to take this class. Will you come with me? And people would laugh about that, you know, and I said, of course, I'll go to the class with you. And I'm for her, her, (laughs) yes, supporting her. And I'm sitting in the class and all of a sudden they put up these characteristics on the board and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she was right all along. My friend was right. 
Oh, I have, man. I have some of those characters. I can't make up my mind to save my life. That's one of them. That was the first one that caught my eye. And I'm like, oh, my God. I can't even pick out a movie at the movie store, you know? like. Oh, my goodness. So simple little things like that, but you, but have deep impact. Deep oh, impact yes. on recognizing. Yeah. Yeah. And when we see that in ourselves, I mean, our first instinct is to... That's not me. It's somebody else. And that dealing with it, that acknowledging it, that's a humbling moment. When you see yourself in something unhealthy, Mm -hmm. ah, that that takes a lot of character to sit with it it. and admit (laughs) it. Exactly. Well, good for you. Yeah. So glad you were able to do that. Yeah. Thank you. The the classes that they have, I, I highly... Um, support, you know, in prison, they do work. And I did witness, you know, even people who I'm really glad they started allowing people that that get on put on probation inside there, so to speak, like, you know, they've misbehaved. So now they can't leave their cell and used to be that they couldn't even go to these groups. Okay. But they changed that now and they let them go to groups. And I've been in this writer's group, and a couple of gals came to the writers group and it was very cathartic for them, very therapeutic. And you could see the changes. And so I was like, you know, this really does work. Even, Mm -hmm. even for the, the ones that really are trying not to let it work for them. You know what I mean? Like, and then they're like, they'll have that breakthrough you know, in a poem they write and share or something. And you're just like, yay. (laughs) That's neat that you were there for each other and supportive of each other's growth and continued healthy mental well-being. Just the importance of community, no matter where that community can be found, right? Yeah. Because of that, you know, part of the acceptance of being in that community, it is a community. That's where you live now. That's your neighborhood. And I had a dear friend that um, steered me towards getting involved in a, in a group called Compassionate Companions. And we were like a hospice group mm. um, that also spread out into helping other people that were just in the um, like hospital setting or um, where we would go and sit with them and mm-hmm. chat with them for an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, also patients that were terminal we would sit with them and we would do round the clock, 24 hours and run schedules until they pass. And that was a very, very humbling yes. well because the, the grace and dignity that these women have just amazed me, mm. absolutely amazed me. And it just shriveled my problems into nothing. Isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're really all about giving back now that you're out, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to pay it forward. You know, yes. prior to this experience, I thought I was going to be going into semi-retirement and, you know, all this. I, I kind of have a mission now. Good. <laughs> you know, there's work to be done. That's yeah. beautiful to hear. Yes. What a transformed life mm-hmm. for the good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, our final closing questions have arrived. What is your one tip to make the world a better place? I think forgive each other. Mm. Forgiveness. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we can it's such a simple other. thing, but one of the hardest things ever, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm. It is. 
and I work at it every day myself. It does. Yeah, I, I was going to confess that exact same thing. It's very hard, <laughs> at least yeah. for me. Some people are just naturally more forgiving. I wish I could be one of those people. But yeah, it's a constant work in progress yeah. in my life, for sure. What are you the most thankful for right now? I am thankful for my freedom. I'm thankful for having a second chance. I'm thankful for my health and the health of my family, Good. my kids and family. Mm -hmm. And lastly, what is your favorite quote? I would have to say by Winston Churchill, never, never, never give up. That was a quote that I shared with my son and it, I, I shared it with him early on. I don't even recall if it was before or after my accident. It became a thing and it, it got him through college and Navy nuclear submarine school and me through prison. And so it is just, it is my quote. Yes, never, very never, inspirational. Never give up. <laughs> never. Good. I'm glad you have not. I'm glad you pushed yeah. through the hard part and did the hard work and did the uncomfortable work is probably yeah. a better way of saying it, huh? And, yeah. and look at the legacy you get to leave for those who love you. Mm -hmm. well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I just, I'm just thankful to be able to have a second chance to do more, to make the world a better place. Yes, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, thank Kathy. You, I'm Corey. so glad we got to meet and yeah. I'm thankful that you were willing to share your story with us so that we can all walk in your shoes and learn from your thank life. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know Kathy would never have chosen this path to intentionally walk down, but the lessons, friendships, and change of heart she gained while in prison were transformational for her. Our lives are but a series of small choices compiled together to form a cohesive whole. Every seemingly inconsequential act matters. They all form the basis of our character, our thought processes, and eventually our actions. After our conversation, Kathy emailed me some more thoughts that she regretted not sharing during our interview. I'd like to share those at this time in her own words, since I think they are very poignant and hold a lot of weight. She says, Before my incarceration, I believed in the death penalty. I believed in the three strikes law and leave without pay. And I believed in repeat offender enhancements. I was a tough on-crime follower. However, I no longer believe in any of those. In fact, I am strongly against all of it. We incarcerate too many people. I also forgot to tell you my best analogy about prison. I felt like the discarded garbage of society. Just as we put our trash out in front of our house to be picked up and taken away, we discard our prisoners in the same way. We don't care where, just not in our community, never to be seen or smelled again. How many of us can relate to these opinions? A change of heart happens because of a personal experience either happening to you or the opportunity to meet someone else that it's happened to. 
we would be wise to heed Kathy's lived experience and consider the incarcerated humans who need love, not trash that needs discarding. Nelson Mandela is quoted as saying, Our human compassion binds us the one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learned how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future. We all suffer. It's part of the human condition. May we learn how to better comfort those who suffer and see ourselves in the other so we can grow and walk in greater compassion, just as Kathy has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.